let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Kelsey Woodill, and I am the Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and Multimedia Manager for Extelligent Healthcare Media. And today we have with us Dr. Steve Friedhoff, Senior Vice President of Health Services at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And there are a couple of layers to our conversation. Today, we're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. We want to talk about these tools in the context of care coordination efforts and specifically in the context of the health insurance industry. And we might even break off and deal with some more large themes like how value-based care interacts with all of these. But to start us off, though, Dr. Friedhoff, first of all, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to start us off, you know, by its very nature, care coordination is an effort that touches on multiple areas of the healthcare industry, and each sector faces its own kind of barriers in this effort of making sure that patients have access to whatever kinds of care that they need easily and seamlessly. In the health insurance space specifically, could you just run through what are some of the challenges that health insurers face in trying to implement care coordination? Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm a family physician by background, so I tend to look through that lens with a focus on whole person health, considering medical comorbidities, behavioral considerations, you know, socioeconomic considerations, and similar. And when I think of care coordination, I also think of that from a couple of different perspectives. You know, one is from the perspective of the health plan, where we have a little bit more of an arm's length relationship with the typical patient. Obviously, we're not normally seeing them on a face-to-face basis like their physician or other provider is, but at the same time, we can definitely have an impact, but we also have, like most organizations, limited resources that we can deploy. Similarly, if you think about it from whether it's a family physician's perspective or the specialist perspective, they're very frequently seeing a patient every 15 minutes. Most PCPs have panel sizes of 2,500 to 3,000 patients. So for them, it can be very difficult to coordinate that kind of scale, particularly for their patients who are most at risk. So I think of it from those two perspectives. You know, I know that one of the things that you've called attention to is the role of machine learning and artificial intelligence and how they can help ensure more proactive care as opposed to reactive care. And so I'm wondering how that plays into an effective care coordination strategy in health insurance. What are some of the key roles that AI and ML can play in easing care coordination? Well, I'll fall back to my background again as a family physician, primary care physician. And again, we're all about prevention. Obviously, you know, when individuals, when patients have chronic conditions, they need to be addressed. But ideally, you address them before they turn into situations that are more severe. And ideally, you take it even further upstream with preventative measures to keep people from having chronic conditions in the first place. And one of the ways that artificial intelligence and machine learning can help both from the perspective of the treating physician and from the perspective of the payer is, again, getting back to the fact that we've got so many patients potentially that we're seeing as a patient. We have you know, many, many, many thousands of patients that are being covered under a health insurance plan. Where are the best places to focus? If you're a physician and you have limited resources in your office to do outreach to patients, or if you're at a health plan and you have limited 
resources to outreach to insured who are at risk, how do you decide where to deploy those resources? How do you decide where you can be the most proactive and have the greatest impact? And it turns out that you know most clinicians are really, really good when the patient's sitting right in front of them, but we're less good from a population health perspective on figuring out where best to deploy those resources. And that's where artificial intelligence and machine learning can really help us do more with less or at least with existing resources. Yeah, and I know, you know, Blue Cross in North Carolina, you have a very strong value-based care approach. And so obviously that population perspective is really important for that kind of an approach. And I do want to touch on that later. But before we get there, when we talk about AI and ML, as much as these are kind of exciting and, you know, on the cutting edge approaches that can really support strategies, we can't ignore that there is some trepidation amongst consumers and sometimes providers alike about using these tools. And the fact that sometimes those fears may stem from, you know, mistakes that organizations have made in implementing these tools and using them appropriately. So when it comes to implementing artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions in order to improve human care, what are some of the common pitfalls that health insurers can stumble into that can prevent care coordination from being pulled off effectively? Yeah. And if if it's okay, before I go directly there, you know, when I think about the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, at the end of the day, it's to support what my biggest goals are, and certainly what my organization's biggest goals are, which are increasing quality of care and making healthcare more affordable, ideally by improving clinical outcomes first and foremost. And at least in the payer world, we deal with such incredible amounts of data from claims from physician visits, hospitalizations, from whether you're filling or not filling your prescription at the pharmacy, ideally and in in increasing ways, data around social determinants of health. And what artificial intelligence and machine learning help us do is synthesize all that data information that helps identify who are the patients that are the most at risk. And it could be something as simple, well, not simple, but as basic as after a hospitalization, are they seeing the relevant specialists and primary care physicians? If they've been on a medication, do we have evidence that those prescriptions are continuing to be filled? Do they live in a zip code where they know we know it's a food desert or we know that there are significant challenges to obtaining care there? And based on that and many, many, many other data points, our predictive models are able to identify individuals who may be most at risk for either a hospital readmission or winding up in the emergency room or having a more significant complication or potentially other things as well. And the idea being that if we can now put that kind of a predictive model and risk stratify individuals for our nurses, our social workers, our pharmacists to reach out to those individuals that are most at risk and hopefully help them get the care that they need or identify the barriers to care that they faced, then that's really the ultimate outcome of what we're describing. So the reason I gave you all that background is because I don't think of artificial intelligence as anything more than a tool in this case. It helps humans you know, provide that human touch even better. And in general, you know, for example, I'll go back to, you know, a primary care background with a patient who has multiple conditions, maybe diabetes, heart failure, other things that are impacting their care. By the way, 
you know, perhaps they're also depressed, they're having trouble accessing care, they're having trouble affording their medications. You know, there are some things that an app might help that helps you manage your diabetes better. But at the end of the day, when individuals have real healthcare challenges, they need real people to support them. And that's to me where AI and ML really come into play. It's helping case managers, care managers, nurses, physicians do a better job of identifying who's the most at risk and what are those risk factors that we can best help to to address. So in the end, what the patient and our insured are hopefully seeing as a human touch with a machine that's sort of behind the scenes. And the way I look at artificial intelligence and machine learning is everywhere, you know, whether we like it or not, right? If you're shopping on a website, if you're on your browser, if you're on social media, there are all kinds of algorithms that are evaluating what we're doing and when we're doing it, and then feeding us all kinds of information, right? And in those circumstances, it's to a large extent happening to us behind the scenes. And, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but it's not necessarily for our benefit, right? It's, you know, typically for marketing or whatever the case may be. In this case, and in healthcare, the only goal is to help improve clinical outcomes, improve the quality of care, and help make healthcare more affordable. That makes sense. Yeah. And thank you for outlining those goals too. One, I guess one of the pitfalls then would be an insurer or an organization that starts to stray from those goals would then see the tools not being as effective perhaps as hoped. Our focus has really been again on, and our measures of success for use of artificial intelligence have been things like how do we improve you know, very well-defined quality metrics? Like how often is somebody readmitted to the hospital after a hospital admission? How often does someone wind up in the emergency room? You know, are they able to adhere to chronic medications that are critical for treating heart failure, for treating diabetes, et cetera? Are they getting good follow-up care after a delivery? Are they getting good follow-up care after a behavioral health hospitalization? So all of the ways that we evaluate success have very much been on the basis of improving clinical quality measures. That makes sense. As alluded to earlier, I know that this kind of leans pretty heavily on your value-based care approach and that surrounding context. I, I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that and how that affects your approach to both care coordination and also how you use these tools to that end. Absolutely. We launched a program around 2019 called Blue Premier. And it's our value-based care program. Again, the focus, as you're probably familiar with, is to focus on paying for value and paying for outcomes, you know, rather than paying for quantity of, of services. So this is a program, again, it's been active for about four years now. All of the major health systems in North Carolina are a part of it. I believe it's a total of 12, including the, the top 10 health systems in the state. We have about 900 independent primary care physicians participating as well, which is more than half of our independent primary care practices. And the idea here is, as you're alluding to, is if we could collaboratively do a better job of care coordination and improving clinical quality, and at the end of the day, reducing medical costs at the same time, then the idea is that by sharing data with providers and by collaborating on strategies on the best way to reduce things like readmissions, reduce things like emergency room visits, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, 
you know, providers now can not just get paid for the individual services they provide, but actually share in any cost savings that result from better clinical outcomes, fewer emergency room visits, fewer readmissions after a hospitalization. Because in the end, it puts, again, the focus on delivering value in healthcare that benefits not just the provider, not just the payer, but at the end of the day, most importantly, impacts the patient. Definitely. And I know you mentioned earlier how it's first and foremost about that patient-provider connection, but there's also the element of the population of patients as well, that both from the value-based care perspective and from this sort of AI ML perspective, you can actually more effectively get a sense of how different populations are doing. Is there anything else you'd like to say on that kind of note about how your value-based care strategy and this sort of AI ML tool usage have sort of affected your approach to population health management? From the Blue Premier, the value perspective, we've been sharing data and collaborating with the providers in, involved in Blue Premier you know, really throughout the, the life of the program. I would say up until, really up until now, the focus has been on, I would say, much more traditional data sharing, understanding individuals who are at the most risk of hospitalization, et cetera. And what we're looking to do is put more of these tools into the hands of the providers so that they can be more proactive with their care. And very similar to what we were talking about before, it's an incentive for, say, for hospital systems to not just be thinking about the individual that's in the emergency department and how to take the best care of them right then in the ER, not just about the hospitalization, but also how do we prevent people from winding up in the hospital? How do we prevent you know, a readmission following a hospitalization? So when I was mentioning earlier, some of the positive impacts of Lupinier and this kind of collaboration, for example, if you look back to 2020, we were able to show that if you're involved, if you're a patient who was associated with a provider who was enrolled in our Blue Premier program, your readmission rate was 5% lower than if your physician was not or your provider was not a part of the program. We saw about a 12% improvement in improvement in blood pressure control. For individuals with diabetes, we saw about an 8% increase in the ability to control hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker for, for disease control there. We saw about 24,000 additional uh, colonoscopy screenings in those populations, which if you look at some of the population health data, uh, we believe actually long-term saves about 570 needless deaths that could have been prevented through colorectal cancer screening. Again, the idea is using this kind of data to take healthcare farther upstream, take a much more preventative approach rather than a reactive approach. And I think as we get better at developing the artificial intelligence and machine learning models start getting that to be something that we can actually put in the hands of providers to work more effectively with their own patient populations. You know, the potential for that is just extraordinary. But I think taking that kind of a tool and delivering it right at the point of care, that's really the next step in the evolution from my perspective. Can you talk a little bit about how providers have responded to those efforts? The providers have not had direct access, I would say, to the, the AI ML solution directly. What we have typically been providing with them have been 
lots of different data points on what's happening within their patient population, but also lists, for lack of a better word, of individuals who we believe to be at high risk and why. And for the most part, the, the reaction has been very, very positive. I think where we often see the most traction is in primary care groups who are probably in the best position in many cases, again, because of that primary care background, the focus on prevention, to be able to take those kinds of patient identifiers and run with them. You know, they are no strangers to identifying individuals who have missed a cancer screening, individuals who their, their diabetes is not well controlled, individuals who are in the emergency room on a, on a regular basis. And in general, it's primary care who's able to really take that holistic approach to patients. Again, the medical, the behavioral, you know, the biopsychosocial, pull it all together and have the greatest impact. And frankly, they've actually been very, very successful. If you look at Blue Premier from 2019 to 2021, it saved over $500 million in cost of care. And the reason for that is because we've been able to improve outcomes, reduce hospitalizations, reduce ER visits, et cetera. And the good news is of that $500 million, two thirds of it gets paid back to providers in additional incentives over and above what they have already earned through you know, normal claims submissions. So by providing better care with better outcomes and lowering costs, they're able to enhance their own revenue and invest more in those type of prevention efforts. You know, the other one third of that $500 million savings, that goes right to making healthcare more affordable and keeping our premiums lower. Thank you. Yeah. We've been kind of bouncing around and pulling in a couple of different pieces here. One piece, at least to me, that always sort of should be tying together a lot of these efforts, whether it's in technology, focus on tools, focus on financial alignment and financial incentives. It's always, you know, at the core of it is health equity and ensuring that everyone has equal access to, to care. And so I know that there has been some concerns about AI and ML and its role in care disparities or in progressing health equity. And so I was wondering if you could just touch on that. How might machine learning and AI implementation and care coordination impact, hopefully positively, health equity efforts in health insurance? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. I'm glad you asked that question. It's some of the early views, not so much in Blue Cross of North Carolina, but just in other organizations, some of the early adventures in AI and machine learning and predictive models, you know, unfortunately also picked up a lot of the disparities that have existed within healthcare. And without the proper controls, you can actually perpetuate some of those same biases, some of those same, you know, disparities. You know, a perfect example is we also try to identify what individuals are most likely to be impactable by our efforts. And if you know there are biases in the way certain individuals were addressed by the healthcare system in the past, the last thing we want to be doing is perpetuating that bias through a machine learning algorithm. So while that type of expertise is definitely outside of my area of expertise, I think we're all very focused on making sure that those type of biases don't occur. And just as importantly, you know, if you think about it, 20% of health outcomes are based on the health care that people receive. I mean, that's, that's something you know, that's been talked about for a long time now. And the 80% are based on everything from your genetics, your environment, you know, where you live, where you work, where you play, and to a large extent, your socioeconomic background. 
And if we don't take that 80% into account, then not only are we perpetuating these biases, but we're doing a tremendous disservice. I think one of the places that, you know, payers more broadly, but I think healthcare in general um, have not done a great job of is collecting that kind of you know, socioeconomic demographic data and incorporating it into our thinking, into our risk assessments and how we treat both entire populations, but also the individual right in front of us. Healthcare in general is starting to finally make some inroads into collecting that data, understanding it, factoring it into healthcare, and even just as importantly, identifying what works and what's not working in terms of interventions. But to your point, that is something we've been laser focused on is how do we obtain more of that data? How do we integrate it into our models? And how do we learn how to do a better job? Because frankly, it's not the, not just the machine that has to learn. We have to learn how to utilize that tool, how to utilize that data and become better, you know, better clinicians to better support patients and insured members. Excellent. Is there anything that you'd like to add to what we have been talking about today before we jump off? You know, if I think about the best ways to think about population health, including artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think it also syncs up very nicely with what we talked about with our Blue Premier value-based programs. Two of the things that I think make us unique with our approach, one of them is that we've been able to do this at a fairly large scale. I just, I mentioned that all of our large systems in the state are participants. You know, we've got more than half of our independent primary care providers involved. So I think to really do population health that's meaningful and impactful, you really do need that scale. And to get to that scale, but also to have the impact, the second thing that I think really distinguishes our approach is you've got to have the provider collaboration. You can't have payers doing one thing and providers doing something else and just hoping that those railroad tracks meet in the middle. So I, I know we could always do a better job, but all of our Blue Premier provider relationships rely very, very heavily on direct engagement with our providers, sharing data, understanding opportunities for improvement, what they could do better, what we could do better. And that's a continuous learning journey for both of us, both in terms of the data, but also in terms of the human touch that we talked about earlier. Excellent. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on today and for sharing these insights. All right. Thank you, Kelsey. Listeners, we would love to hear your insights on this topic as well. So if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share or any questions or topics that you think that we should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me at kwadil at intelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. And also don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production. 